Darkest hour. You were there. 
I'm supposed to have a partner with me today, um, Jenna Hornbeek. Hey guys, I guess running late is in my genes. <laughs> well, I want to welcome y'all. Um, thank y'all for coming today. Um, and today is obviously a little bit different with everything that we're doing. We're being, we're, it's Youth Sunday, so thank you. Um, and we'd like especially to welcome our guests. Um, thank you for choosing to visit with us today. Um, there's care cards located in the pew racks in front of you, and we'd love for you to fill one of those out, and you can give it to a member, or you can place it in one of the boxes located in the lobby. Also in the lobby at the welcome desk, we have these prayer cards for the mission team. So y'all should grab one of those as well. Um, our Monday Thursday service is going to be April 6th at 7 p.m. 7 p.m. located in this room. After Monday Thursday is Easter Sunday, which is April 9th. Um, there is a sunrise service at 7 a.m., breakfast at 8 a.m., um, community groups at 9 a.m., and then big worship at 10.15. We're still collecting our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which 100% of the donations go to the North American Missions Association. Um, we have a goal of $70,000, and we just want to thank you guys so much for giving. Um, today is also the final day to order your mission shirts, which are for the adult missions team. If you are interested, you can... Talk to Garrett Ensley. Our Golf for Missions is coming up Saturday, April 1st. Um, you can sponsor a hole for $100, or you can participate for $60. Um, it's located at the Revival of the Crescent Golf Club. Shotgun starts at 1 p.m., and there's going to be a lunch taking place before, and all donations are due today. Um, lastly, we this is a jump rope, um, and it's for the adult mission team, and it's a craft, and we need more bags to add more to it. And there's a work day to cut the bags at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And you can, you can come or your kids can come. Just bring yourself and a pair of scissors. Thank you. And now we're going to have Cameron Cloyes for the scripture reading. All right, let's take a moment and listen to God's word. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16 says, Command to teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, give your attention to the public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with, with the laying of the hands by the, by the council of elders. Practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for letting the youth lead this Sunday. I'm thankful that we are able to share the gospel through this morning through skits, worship, and hearing from our peers on what you laid on their hearts. I hope that we all go through the service with open hearts and minds. Had Blake and Beta behind the cross this morning as they dive into your word. I pray ultimately, ultimately that we glorify you through this whole service and also through this whole week. Amen.
Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> so we're going to start our time in worship, and if you would all stand so we can sing. But before I do, I want you all to understand this song, Honey in the Rock, is not just some random phrase. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Psalms, and it's supposed to be an example of the goodness of God. So whatever the good times are that you're going through and often forgotten, you know, sorry, often forgotten verse comes from Psalm 8116 and it says that he may feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock that has gathered for you. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go. Keep providing. 
You may be seated. Your 
I got a lot of music here. Y'all can go ahead and stand up. We're going to go ahead and get to our next two worship songs. Tells the sun to rise every morning, colors the sky with the shades of his glory, wakes us with mercy and love that Jesus does. Who holds the orphan, comforts the widow, cries for justice. Every sorrow carries the pain of his children, Jesus does. So we sing praise to the Father who gave us the sign, and praise to his spirit who's living in us. When I was a sinner, he saved me from who? Sing praise. 
Hello? I'm on. Cool. Morning, y'all. Um, my name's my name's Blake Andrews. I'll be preaching y'all this morning with my peer, Baden Jones. He's over there. We're going to be preaching to y'all in the book of Judges, chapter 6 and 7, which goes over the story of Gideon. So if y'all go ahead and turn there, um, I'm going to tell y'all a little bit of background on the book of Judges. So Judges goes over about a rough 350-year time period where the Israelites go through what we can see as a four-part cycle. And in this cycle, in the first part of it, the Israelites have their backs completely turned on God. And so because of this, God puts them underneath oppression because they're not focusing on him. And so because of their oppression, the Israelites cry out to God to help them. So God sends judges, which Gideon is one of these judges, and judges also means deliverers and saviors. So we're going to go ahead and start reading in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, because of Midian, the people of Israel made, them, made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance in Israel, and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would, come up, they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on, on account of the Midianites. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you. And I gave them you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for this morning, and thank you for this youth group that we have, and that we can build up the foundation for our future generation of Christians that we're going to go out and serve you. Um, God, please help hide me behind the cross as I'm preaching, and please help this message reach who it needs to reach, and, Baden, and, and help Baden this morning, God. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Think of what we just read as the context of what we're going to be going over for the rest of chapters 6 and 7. So we're going to have a lot of scripture, so y'all better buckle up because it's going to be maybe a long one. Um, so, yeah, and as we're going to go through chapters 6 and 7, I think it's easy for us to, to, we're going to see that Gideon is showing almost what it seems like irrational fear because he has God literally with him and he's still showing extreme fear. And I think for us as Christians we also show lots of fear, even though we know we have God with us and God has our back. So, Bate and I are going to be preaching all this morning on how, as Christians, we can fight and endure this fear in order to further God's kingdom. And so, the first point I want us to see here is, in order for us to fight our fear, we need to realize our fear and not let it consume us. So, um, yeah, um, and if we're, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 10 through 15 in Judges chapter 6. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods, in the, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, 
which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said to him, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So the first thing we can, so we can look here, and let's set the scene of what's happening. So we have the angel of the Lord appears under the terebinth, which is basically a tree, and we have Gideon who's beating out the wheat in the wine press, which if, you, if you're just like me, before I read this, I had no idea what that meant. So I did a little bit of research, and I found that beating out, so basically that's the process of threshing the wheat, which is basically sorting it out. And that process takes up a lot of space. And you see here that Gideon is doing this in the wine press, which if you look up there and up there, I actually have a picture of a wine press for y'all, and that is just a very small hole in the ground, which would certainly not be ideal for threshing wheat. So we can see that Gideon is doing this out of fear of the Midianites. And if we look at verse 10, we can see that, that God said, I am the Lord your God. You should not fear the gods and the Amorites whose land you dwell. So Gideon is doing this because he's being oppressed by the Amorites and their gods. And if we look at this in our, in, for our situation, we don't, gods today don't typically come as the stereotypical tiny golden statue that they were worshiping back in, back in Gideon's time. Gods are really anything that we put before God that takes up more of our time and our thoughts, right? So for many of us, it's money, pride, what popularity, social media. It's really anything that we put before God. And eventually these things slowly take up our vision and creep in, and we don't even realize that we have completely turned our backs on God. And that's kind of what Satan wants to do. He doesn't scream at us to run away from God. He whispers. And as Christians, we need to realize that we need to realize that this is happening and it's gradual. And we need so in order to counter our fear here, we need to realize that this is happening and we need to realize just how dangerous these gods of the world can be and we need to realize what our mind is focused on. So, if we look at verses 12 through 13, I'm going to go ahead and read that. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So we look at what Gideon said here. He said, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? So, we can see here that the gods of this earth and the, the oppression that they're having on Gideon is making him doubt God. He's, saying, he's thinking that God is no longer with him just because the situation that he is in bad, that he is, in, he is in is bad. Sometimes it's easy for us to assume that God's closeness associates with our current worldly circumstances, and that's just not true. And we need to realize that God is controlling the situation and God has us covered. And all right, this is gonna, I'm going to take a little sidestep here. Um, it's going to sound a little bit silly to y'all, but when I was growing up, one of my biggest fears was ants. I know that's, it's, it's kind of weird. They're just like tiny little insects. Why would they be scary? But I literally had nightmares of me sinking into anthills and just like dying, like suffocating like it's quicksand. And 
like, or like I'd see them on my arm with not, no skin showing, it's just a layer of ants. And I was just like, that was just so scary to me. And I remember one time I was walking, in my, walking around in my garage doing whatever eight-year-old Blake does. I honestly don't remember why I was there. But I remember seeing this little yellow and red can, and on the side of it, it read ant killer. I was really intrigued, so I took it out to the yard, found an anthill, and I, I remember spraying it and seeing all the ants run out like, what's happening to us? We're going to die, right? And then they just, they just died. And, and for me, that was something that was like some sort of like something clicked in me where I realized that like these ants that I've just been so afraid of for all this time, whenever I had this magic ant spray, they just straight up, they're nothing compared to it. I had something that was infinitely stronger than what I was afraid of and and that cured my fear. That made me realize that these ants were nothing to be afraid of. Let's go ahead and read Luke 48 through 39. Y'all don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. And this is talking about Jesus while he's in the ocean with his disciples in a small boat. And Jesus is asleep at this time. And there's a storm coming. And it reads, But he was in the stern, asleep in the cushion. They woke and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He, he awoke and rebu- rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. So sometimes it's easy for us to look at what the disciples said and say the same thing to God. God, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care that I'm going through this hard time? Do you not care about this storm that's approaching me, that that I'm in right now? But we need to realize that God has the power to calm that storm instantly whenever he wants to. He has the power to calm it with his hand immediately. So as Christians, we need to realize that, and we need to realize that that if we're afraid of things that are temporary or idols that we're worshiping right now, that God is infinitely more powerful than anything, any worldly thing that we could be focusing on right now. And the next thing I want us to see is that worldly fears make us doubt the power that we have through God. And if we look at verses 14 and 15, specifically verse 15, after, Gid- after God called Gideon to save Israel from the hand of Midian, Gideon said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. So we, we all know that God has a mission for all of our lives. And sometimes it's easy for us to be afraid of going after that mission because we think we're not good enough, right? The same way that Gideon said, I am the, I am the weakest. My clan is the weakest. And we need to realize that our power isn't in us. Our power is in God. And God will give us the strength to do whatever he needs us to do to further his kingdom. And next, next year, I want you all to see that um, worldly, yeah, and next I want to see is we need to follow and obey God despite our natural fear. So we're going to be going over to verse, verses 25 and 27. We're going to be skipping a little bit, which Baden's going to refer back to that section later. And so I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 25. And so this section is God's mission for Gideon. It's what God is having Gideon do in the first task that God has Midian do. So And it reads, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So, the first thing I want us to see here is when Gideon obeyed God here, he was still naturally fearful, right? It said that he waited until 
he waited until nighttime to go tear down this altar to, to Baal. And in the same way for us, sometimes whenever we are gonna go, we're going to go obey God, sometimes we're going to be naturally fearful, right? Like right now, I'm naturally anxious when I'm preaching to y'all. But I, I know I have God with, God with me and he's comforting me. And so also, whenever we obey God, the key word here is we need to practice obedience, right? So whenever I'm practicing for track, right, I, I run the mile, right? I, whenever I go practice, I don't run the race every single day, right? I don't run it full out because I know that I am incapable to do that. My body will just break if I do that. So I, when I practice, I run, but I don't do it as fast. I'm, I don't do the full race every single day. I might do three miles in a day, but that way when the race finally comes, whenever I'm needed the most, I'm ready. So as Christians, we need to make sure that we are practicing obedience, and we can't be obedience, we can't be obedient in the large areas if we're not obedient in the small areas first. And so this, where Gideon obeys here, is essential for what Gideon is going to do in chapter 7, which Baden's going to be, which Baden's going to preach to you all about. So, yeah, and, and the next thing I want us to see here is what God actually has Gideon do, which is he has him tear down the altar to Baal, which so obedience is impossible while focusing on other gods. And so I'm going to go ahead and read uh, another, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, no one, Jesus, this is Jesus talking, it says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, which this talks, this money could be substituted for really any idol that you're worshiping. It could be pride, what people think about you, it could be yourself, it, really anything. And so in order to fully trust God, we need to only serve him. We need to tear out, just as Gideon did, tear down anything else that is blocking our vision from God because we won't be able to see God in his full glory if we're focused on other things. Also, in Matthew chapter 27, it, or in, in Matthew chapter 7, it says, anyone who, this is also Jesus talking, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So whatever, we are, whatever idol we're worshiping, or if we're, if we're not worshiping idol, whatever we're worshiping, right, that's what we're going to lean on in a time of trouble. And we know that the gods of this world, as this scripture says, are sinking sand. Whenever a hard time comes, whenever a storm comes, that house will fall, right? So if we, if, if we are building our house on things of this world, it makes sense why, would we, why we would be living in fear, because those things are only temporary. We're not always going to have money. Money's not always going to matter. We're not always going to have our health. We're not always going to be popular. But we will always have God with us. That's why building our, if we build our house on God, it's like building our house on the rock. And next, if we look in verses 28 through 32, we can see the result of what happened when Gideon obeyed. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 28. And the, men of the, and the men of the town rose early in the morning. Behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the asher beside it was cut down. The second bull was offered, that was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? After they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, 
for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asher beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by mourning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. So the first thing I want us to see here is that Gideon's obedience brought others to God. Even though it seemed like at first, when Gideon obeyed, everyone was angry at him, right? Everyone, everyone was mad at him. They wanted to put Gideon to death just because he had did what God told him to do. And that's crazy if you think about it because Gideon was just being obedient. But also if we look at who advocated for Gideon, it was his own father, which makes sense, right? It was your father would advocate for you if you're, if you're about to be put in the face of death. But remember whose altar it was that Gideon torn down. It was his own father's altar, which might bring some awkward father-son relationship moment where Gideon torn, where his dad would probably not be very happy. But we see here that Gideon's father wasn't mad at him. He started advocating for him. And it's a perfect example for us of how when we obey God, we act as a light for other people, Christians and non-Christians, to show them what it looks like for someone to be obedient. And we might bring people to God just by living out a godly life because they might say, why are you different? Why are, why are you not swearing? Why are you not making crude jokes? What, what is setting you apart? So just by obeying God on a day-to-day basis, we can act as a beacon for him. And next, next I want us to see is that Gideon's obedience brought glory to God. And so if you look at what his father said, right? His father said, if, any, if anyone wants to contend for Baal, let him, face, let, let him be put to death and let Baal save him. So I don't know about y'all, but I wouldn't want any God, a God of this earth that I'm worshiping to save me in the face of death unless it's the one true God, right? I know that when the storm comes, money, or when the storm comes, really anything I'm worshiping won't save me, right? Money can't save me from death. Or any, really anything. So, so yeah. Um, so, that's the logic that Gideon's father had. And it's a great logic that glorified God because it showed that all the other gods of this world are nothing in comparison to the glory and the power of our one true God. And lastly, I want us to see is that this is a, a small point here, is that Gideon's obedience drew him closer to God. And so, what Gideon did here was essential for what Gideon's going to be doing in chapter 7, as this was like a stepping stone for him, as if he didn't obey here, he wouldn't be able to obey in chapter 7, because his people would still be focused on, the, focused on the gods of this earth. So this was essential for what Gideon's going to do, which y'all will learn about as I'm going to hand it off to Baden, who's going to tell, preach to y'all about chapter 7 and a little bit of the part I skipped out on chapter 6. So yeah. Good morning, everybody. As Blake said, my name is Baden Jones. And real quick before I begin, I'll be starting off in Judges chapter 7, verse 1. And as you find your place there, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Like I said, my name is Baden Jones. If you don't know me, you probably know somebody in my family. My dad is Robbie Jones, my mom, Dina Jones, or as the little kids might know her, the candy lady. I have two older brothers. I have my middle brother, Brennan Jones, and my oldest brother, Barrett Jones. And the best way I can describe myself is a mix between the two. Brennan's very athletic. He loves sports. 
Barrett loves video games, and I find myself right in the middle. I did play football throughout my junior year, but this past senior year, I fully set sports aside to um, pursue academics full-time, and I'll be attending Mars Hill University this upcoming fall. Without further ado, let me jump right into it in chapter 7, verse 1. So Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in a valley near, near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave the mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test you to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands, and all the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions, the ram's horns, and the other warriors, and he sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was a valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, get up and go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go to the camp with your servant Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Purah. He went down to the edge of the Midianite camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east, they, sad, they, they settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as the man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. The first thing I want us to realize today is that we can have faith in God's insurance, assurance. Truly conquering fear is not something that we can do by our own strength. If we were to go back in the chapter 7, verse 2, we read, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast that they saved themselves by their own strength. An important part of this story is realizing it, that we can't do this alone. In this verse, we see the reason why God decided to take this army of 32,000 Israelites and shorten it down to 10,000, and from there to 300 spare men. To put this in a better word, if the Israelites still had 32,000 people, and they had somehow pulled off this victory against the Midianite army, they would have boasted in their own strength. They would have said, look at what we did. We had this odd against us, yet we won. We're so good. They would not have given the glory to God. And God knew this. And even while he knew this, he sent a worldly savior, a judge, to the Israelite camp, out of the grace that he gives us. 
The reason that the Israelites put their faith in the world, they put their faith in the size, is the reason that, that they were being oppressed in the first place. And if we were to read on in the chapter 8, what we would find is that after Gideon passed away, the Israelites fell back into oppression. This is because the Israelites had their faith in the world. God sent Gideon, but the Israelites put their faith in the physical form of Gideon and not the idea that God was the one who sent them. This should tell us something. The fact that God does not want us to have our faith in the world, we shouldn't do it. If it were possible to conquer fear in a worldly fashion, none of us would struggle with fear. God is the only one that has the power to truly conquer our fear. And God is giving us this. He's giving this. But we need to accept it. And this is how we can do it. Because God is giving us assurance. And we just need to have faith and trust in him. God assures us through faith. We need to understand that this is a two-way relationship, faith and assurance. If we are obedient to the Lord, he will assure us. Hebrews 11.6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone wants to, who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those that sincerely seek him. Even in Gideon's story, if we were to go back to chapter 6, verse 39 through 40, we see Gideon ask God himself for the assurance. That reads, Then Gideon said to God, Please do not be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry while around it the ground is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So not only do we need to be obedient like Blake taught us earlier, but we also need to trust in the Lord. When I was growing up, my mom would always ask me this question. If your friends were to jump off a bridge, would you jump too? And I'm going to take this analogy and I'm going to take it one step further. Because if I were to ask you the same question, but if I were to say, if I were to assure you that if you jumped off this bridge, there's no pain, there's no injury, there's no consequence, and there's no death, would you do it? And the answer is probably going to be no. And that's for two reasons, two good reasons. The first thing is, most of y'all do not know me. And that's completely, completely reasonable. I'm a senior. Most of y'all probably never said anything to me. But let me tell you this. You can know the Father because of the book that we have right here. Second to that, if you do know me, you might not trust me. <laughs> Who am I to say that you won't be? I mean, if I jump off... Ten feet, I'm probably going to end up hurt, let alone a bridge. We don't know how high up it is. You don't trust me. But let me tell you this today. You can trust the Father. And you can trust him 100% day in and day out because God is trustworthy past human comprehension. We need to accept the assurance that God gives us day in and day out by putting our faith and trust in him and truly relying on God. We can do this because Gideon showed the ultimate example of trusting in the Lord. And to show this, let me give y'all some numbers. My brain has always worked with numbers. I love them. And that's what my brain went to when I was reading this story. Gideon started with 32,000 men. The army of Midian had an estimated 135,000 people. Now that's a ratio of 1 to 4.2. Now, you can't have point two of a person, but for the analogy, bear with me a little bit. Next, the Lord told Gideon to tell those who were timid and scared. There was nothing more to the story. Timid and scared to leave. 22,000 men packed up their bags and left. 
and that, was, that left the army with 10,000 men. We now have a ratio of 1 to 13.5. Lastly, the Lord told Gideon to take his men to the river, and those who cupped the water, and they brought it up to their mouths, and they lapped it like a dog, were the stay. But those who got down on their knees, and they drank straight from the stream, were sent home. Gideon was left with 300 men to face 135,000 people. That's a ratio of 1 to 450 people. And to put that into perspective, that's about me versus everybody in this room today. There's no realistic and human way that Gideon would have won this battle. Gideon had all the odds against him, but he trusted in the Lord. I remember a time when I was young, it was about the time I was an early teen, and my parents had finally started trusting me to stay home alone. In my head, I thought I was big. I could fight off an intruder. You know, I could cook it in the kitchen so I could live. My parents probably trusted me to call 911 if anything happened. <laughs> On that particular day, it was planned that I was going to be home alone. This was fine. It was no biggie. I had done it before. I had an Xbox. I had my phone, and I could find my way to the pantry. I was going to live. My, mo <laughs> my mom was out doing whatever she was doing. My brothers would be with my dad doing something else. Now, I was fine, and like I said, it was no biggie until it about started to get dark. Now, I'm not scared of the dark, but I'm scared of what might be in the dark. <laughs> so about two to three hours of me being home alone, I call my dad, and I'm on the phone, and I'm asking, hey, where you at? What you doing? Uh, I'm kind of getting scared. What time do you think you're going to be home? And as I'm on the phone with my dad, I hear this liquid squishing sound come from almost the corner of my room. And I start breaking down, crying on the phone. And I'm now call I'm on the phone, and I'm crying to my dad. I'm saying, Dad, please come home. I want you to come home. And I'm crying. And he says, I'll come home. I don't think I left the fetal position on my bed until my dad got home. Now, to wrap up this story, you're probably wondering what the sound was. On my wall, plugged in, I had a rechargeable battery, and one of the batteries charging had busted, hence the spewing sound. That's what left me in the fetal position on my bed. <laughs> but now, second to that, and the thing that I really want you all to take home today, is I was scared that night, but my fear left me when my father came home. I remember running to him, and my fear left me when my father came home. Guys, Gideon knew that the father was home with him the entire time, and that's why he had faith and he trusted in him. And let me tell you this, because Gideon knew that the father was home, he had 300 men in himself, 301, but because Gideon knew that the father was home that day, there were not 301 people in that army. There were 302 people in that army because God was with them that day. I can't think of a better example of what trusting in the Lord can do with us, because those 302 men took down and killed 120,000 people on the spot without a single Israelite injury or casualty. I said 120,000, and that's because 15,000 of the Midianites went on running. But if we were to read on in chapter 8, we would know that they also caught up and took them down too. 135,000 Midianite deaths to not a single 302 Israelite casualty. To give you some context, the way they did this is they outsmarted their enemy. 
They took pots and they had torches. And with their 300 and spare men, they surrounded the Midianite camp. And what they would do is all in unison, they'd smash these pots. And that would resemble the sound of thousands of swords being pulled out. And then with the, it was dark when they did this. So the torches, would, it, they, it would resemble the front line of a ginormous army. When the Midianites heard all the pots smashed, they, in, they instantly went to the worst place and they couldn't see and they turned on themselves. The Midianite army killed themselves. It was truly a beautiful way to do it. But I want you all to understand that the feeling of assurance should empower us to do God's will. Because if this story isn't encouraging you, then I don't know what will. Because in the same fashion that Gideon had the power to take on a 1 to 450 odds against them, you have that same power to take on your daily walk and your daily struggles. Because let me tell you this, the assurance that God gave to Gideon on that day was the same assurance that he gives to you day in and day out. There's not a difference because God is the same now, then, and forevermore. I want you all to understand that with God's assurance, you can do the unthinkable if you trust in God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. It's one of the most famous verses when it comes to the sports world, and for a good reason too, it holds powerful meaning. Because you can do the unthinkable if you trust in God, and if God is on your side. But let me tell you this. If you're a child of God, God is on your side. On your blank in your paper, I want you to put God is on my side because that's what he is. He's on your side. You can trust in him. You can rely. You can build your life on God. When me and Blake were developing this, we were reading, we were learning. At first, I wanted to try and explain what a fearless Christian should look like. But as we've been reading, we already see this. We see what Gideon accomplished. So instead, I want to try and give you all some applications where you can take this message, take it home to your life, and use it. Because trusting in the Lord is the final step to conquering our fear. This story that we read about Gideon provides all the steps necessary to conquering our fear because the picture is painted perfectly for us. And I want to begin with what Blake taught about, being aware of our fear. Because the beginning of fear, or the beginning of conquering fear, is realizing that we have it in the first place. Blake referenced chapter 6, verse 27, and this is where Gideon uh, took down the altar of Baal at night. And the important part that I want you to see is the reason Gideon did it at night is because he knew that he was scared. If we were to read chapter 7, 10 through 11, this is where God had told Gideon that he had victory over the Midianites. But if you're scared, take Purah to the Midianite camp with you, and you will be greatly assured. It's funny, because if we're to read in verse 11, it says, So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the Midianite camp. Gideon responded directly to of God's commandment of what to do if he was scared. Gideon knew that he was scared. But this is what I want you all to take home with you. Gideon did not let his fear paralyze him. And do not let your fear paralyze you. And you might say, Baden, that's easier said than done. But let me tell you how you can do it. That's by being obedient. Blake also spoke about this. Christianity is not sudden, spontaneous, or quick. It's a process. We're learning and we're growing day in and day out. As Christians, we need to be obedient into the Lord, not because we loved him, but because he first loved us. You heard earlier in the sermon about all Gideon achieved. And that's because at the end of the day, Gideon was obedient through his fear. 
I think Blake spoke of a key point about obedience. It's not about you, and it's not about me. Some of the adults in this room, especially my mom and dad, might find it ironic that I'm the one talking about obedience, but it is a key point to learn. Blake brought a beautiful point. Because of Gideon's obedience, it brought his father back into reality. In that same fashion, your obedience day in and day out has the opportunity to bring others to Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. We need to be obedient because that's what God commands us to do. Blake referenced chapter 6, verse 28 through 30, but I'm going to reference chapter 7, 3 through 6. And that's when God was telling Gideon to trickle down his army to these spare 300 men. I know that if I were to put myself in Gideon's shoes, when I had an army of 32,000 people versus an army of too many to count, when my army got shortened by 22,000 men, I would have been like, God, what's happening? What, what, what's going on here? We're not going to win this. Especially when it got trickled down to 300 men. Gideon did not ask a question. He did not question the Lord once. He was obedient through everything. That's what Gideon shows to us. With no arguing, Gideon did what he was asked to do. And lucky for us, we know where this got him. Because it got him to victory over the Midianite army. Obedience brings us to victory. Trust God to guide your life and be obedient as he instructs you to do, and you find victory with him. Next up, trust in God's assurance. We should secure our lives on the assurance we get from God. If we look back, Gideon did take some convincing. If we were to read chapter 6, 39 through 40 again, we would see that Gideon asked God for assurance. But if we were to look in chapter 7, verse 9 through 11, what we would read is that God gave assurance to Gideon without being asked. Now, in the same fashion, to apply it to your lives, if you ask and pray for assurance, God will give it to you because that's what he gave to Gideon. But on the same note, if we're not asking for it, if we don't think we need God's assurance, he is still giving it to you. You just have to look for it and find it. Find this assurance in your life and use it to encourage you through your power, your struggles, your trials, your tribulation. Use it. God's will has been and always will be carried out time and time again. And I'm going to tell you why we can trust in God's assurance. Because the reason we can trust in God's assurance is because it's all right here. And if you don't get assurance from this book, I pray that you read deeper. Because when I'm reading this book, I read about a God that loved me before my conception and the same for you. And when, when I'm reading this book, I read about a God that sent his one and only son to step off a throne of glory to come to this earth for me and for you. And when, and when I'm reading this book, I read about a perfect man that walked this earth, but he died an unjustly death, an unjustly death, a horrible death. For my sin and your sin too. Lastly, and most importantly, if you haven't heard me today, I, I listen to me now. Because I read about a Savior that when they put him to death, he rose three days later. Because the power of sin and the power of death could not hold him. God's giving you assurance. It's right here. And if you're his child in this room today, that assurance is yours. And let me tell you this. If you're not his child, he is standing there with open arms and run to him and run to him fast 
and he will give you the assurance that he is giving every bit and every day to us. God's assurance is here. If we were to put these three things together, what we'll see is that we should be fearless. If we apply these steps to our lives, our picture will be painted much like Gideon's was. When I think to all the best movies of today's time, I think they all revolve around one thing, a fearless leader. Our superheroes and our favorite characters are the ones who challenged adversity and made it through to the other side because they were fearless through their walk. Use what's been given to you. God's giving you assurance on a silver platter. Take it. Use it. Feel it. Believe it because it's there. Become that fearless leader, but listen to me now. Give the glory to God. David and Goliath, one of the most popular Bible stories. You saw it a little bit earlier in our skit, and it's beautiful. It's about an extreme underdog that with the power of God on his side was able to take out a giant. And let me tell you, the reason that that story happened is because that was God's will for David's life. God's will for your life might not be the equivalent to taking down a giant. In fact, God's will for your life might be the equivalent to being swallowed by a whale. Regardless, we need to be prepared to fight our fears with obedience and trust and faith in God so that we can prepare good works for him. Use the comfort that God has provided to you. In closing, I'd like to ask a few questions, and I'd really, I'd really like you to self-reflect and just think of your personal life. What's holding you back? Do you recognize what's limiting you? Are you so prideful in your reputation that you're fearful to admit you're a Christian? Do you have a fear of sharing your faith out of in inadequacy? Are you, are you scared of being rejected? Or are you just scared? Do you have social anxiety? What's holding you back today? Next question I want to ask. What are you doing about your fears? The first step is just realizing it. But if, I mean, if I recognize my fear and I don't do anything about it, it's just going to stay there. What are you doing? What steps are you taking to fight your fears? Are you showing signs of spiritual maturity in your walk? Are we trying to be obedient? What are you doing? And the next thing I want to ask is are you doing it through the Lord? Are you, are you trusting the Lord to conquer your fear? Because there's worldly ways to try and do it. But as I said before, if there was a worldly way to do it, we wouldn't struggle with it. God is the only one that can truly conquer our fear and give us victory. Be assured by that. We need to look towards God, not only for guidance, but for assurance and comfort, because it's there. Lastly, I ask you to find the importance of being fearless. The conflicting idea is that fear is not always a bad thing. It can keep us out of pain. It can keep us out of trouble. I mean, that might be true. But are we, are we ready to sacrifice our lives, live in obedience, instead of living in fear? Are we willing to put God above our relationships, our reputation, and our comfort? Are we willing to do that to walk the right walk? In closing, 
J.D. Greer once said that God wants your availability, not your ability. Be obedient to him, and he will use you. At this time, Pastor Scott's going to come for a time of invitation, and the altar will always be open. If you need to pray today to realize your fear, I ask you to please do. Thank you.